Hi, everybody. This is Rupa. We are now in the last few months of Barack Obama's presidency. And before he leaves office, I want to take this chance to recognize what a small group of people have known for a long time. Obama is a TCK, a third culture kid. They're people who spend some of their formative years in another country. In Obama's case, it was Indonesia. But in general, the TCK experience creates a certain kind of person. And that's what we're going to talk about in this episode. The first thing to know is that there are a lot more TCKs than there used to be. Their numbers have grown exponentially with the advent of, you know, planes and international companies sending employees abroad. I'm not sure that they like fully recognized the cultural impact that they would have by moving so many employees abroad and having them raise their families abroad. That's Steph Yu, creator of Denizen, a magazine that seems to be the first and only online community for TCKs. I did an interview with her about the TCK experience. I wanted to show you how strongly some of those themes resonate. So I cajoled another TCK into listening to my interview with Steph and interjecting comments about their own experience. My best friend, Ava Romero, who you might remember from earlier episodes. And Ava, you're the one who told me about the term TCK. Do you remember that? No. (laughs) I had to remind her. Okay, yes. So this is a term that I found out about from my missionary kid friends, who are the children of American citizens who I met while I was living in Paraguay at the Asuncion Christian Academy, which is where my mother was teaching. Ava was born in Iowa, raised in Asuncion, Paraguay, and came back to the States for college at the University of Iowa, where she and I met. Now she's a Ph.D. and documentary filmmaker. So you're going to hear my interview with Steph with Ava's interjections. I'm Rupa Shanoi, and this is Otherhood. Steph Yu sounds American, but she's Canadian. But she wasn't born there either. She was born in Hong Kong and then raised in Singapore. For college, she came back to the States and went on to work for the Chicago Tribune, the Boston Globe, and now the company behind WordPress. Where did the term TCK come from? Do you know? Yeah, I know only because I took a sociology class in college, and one of our assignments was to pick a community of people and write about them, and I wanted to pick the community that I grew up in, so I looked into our expat, I grew up in the expat community in Singapore, expatriate. Turns out there was a term for all these kids who had grown up in all these expatriate communities. It's a pretty old term. I think it's been around for, you know, a couple decades now. Today, People sort of use the word global nomad instead, which I think is a little bit more reflective as the environment of expatriates and movement around the world has changed. Yeah, global nomad seems to be like a more common phrase these days. Also sounds more hip, right? So I don't know, TCK, it sounds like, uh, like you're uh, in a spy agency or something <laughs> like that. Maybe, yeah. When I first founded Denizen, it was back in 2008, the only kind of online 
like material that was about TCKs were like sociological studies or like examples from TCKs of like the 70s and the 80s and like 90s. And there was no one like blogging or writing about like the modern third culture kid or what, what it was like to be a TCK today. So, you know, I was just like, all right, let's do this, <laughs> you know. And as part of the magazine, I edit and publish a lot of stories written by other third culture kids who share stories that are very similar to mine. In some ways, it's very therapeutic. And, oh my gosh, some of the letters and comments that come in are incredible. Like, like what? There are people who will write in and be like, thank you so much for publishing this, or thank you so much for creating Denizen. You guys get me, or I feel like I belong, or I feel like I'm a part of this. And I didn't realize that that's what would happen when I created Denizen, but it's definitely been the coolest part, is just having people say that it helped them in some way. So how do you identify a TCK? Man, there definitely are traits. Oftentimes, when you ask someone, where are you from, and they have a little bit of trouble answering, that's a good first sign. I could interject there. Okay. That's Ava, interjecting. So I think that's really telling that when you ask somebody where they're from, that already like poses a problem, and that's a red flag, that that's a TCK person who you're talking to. I have often had a hard time explaining it to people, and I have decided to deal with that in a strategic way by not telling people a lot of the time. That's interesting, especially what she goes on to say. I find myself lying a lot. Lying? Um, yeah, absolutely. If someone asks me where am I from, I will sort of dance around the truth of it because it takes so darn long to explain it. Not that I'm trying to be deceitful, it's just that it's so complicated. When I'm in Hong Kong, which is where I was born and where my family is from, I don't really fit in there. I might, I'm Asian, so I look like I'm from Hong Kong, but I certainly don't sound like I'm from Hong Kong. I'll just be like, oh, I'm from Singapore. <laughs> it's just like, you know, all these shortcuts and shorthands that I take to just keep the conversation moving so that people don't dwell too hard <laughs> on stuff. Right, exactly. If they are sincerely interested and I want to take the time to get into that with them, then I will start to tell them I was raised in South America. I was born in the Midwest. My mom is from the Midwest. My dad is from Paraguay. He's Paraguayan. So my answer will vary depending on who I'm talking to. It would just be so much work for people to try to understand my background. So in many ways, I function as sort of an invisible immigrant, which a lot of TCKs do. On the flip side, so I have one, st like, my story's one way, but on the flip side, like, I have friends who are American, who grew up overseas, right? I was just hanging out with a friend of mine, you know, she, her family's from North Carolina, but she lived in Singapore for the majority of her life, or a big part of her life, abroad for most of her life. She's an invisible American too, right? She's American on paper, but maybe internally, you know, she may feel something else because she lived overseas for so long. And a lot of the people that I grew up with are that way. They show up in college and they're an invisible immigrant. They walk around, they might look American, they sound American, certainly on paper they're American, so their college does not recognize them as a foreign student. And they're just expected to blend in and figure it out. But you haven't, like watch the same TV shows as everybody or you haven't like experienced the same cultural things as everybody in, in the college and they may not know that you're different but you are and you just kind of roll with it you just figure it out and you kind of lie about it sometimes so um she uses this phrase invisible immigrant 
And that really resonates with me because I feel like I'm passing, quote unquote, in a lot of ways, a lot of the time, because I don't have marks that clearly show that I'm a Paraguayan. But in your case, there's an additional element that you could pass for white. Right, exactly. And a white friend who I've been friends with for years, she said to me a couple months ago, I forget that you're Latina. And to me, that's kind of awful. So I feel like there's a part of me that's often left out of my relationships and it's a challenge. <laughs> my parents are from... Complicated, yeah. right? My parents both grew up in Hong Kong. My dad was a citizen from Hong Kong for a while, but now is a Singaporean citizen. Mm -hmm. It's kind of tricky because Hong Kong was a British colony for a little bit, so right. this, the concept of citizenship is kind of confusing mm -hmm. if you're from Hong Kong. My mom is also, her family's from Hong Kong, but she's Canadian um, or has a Canadian passport. My dad worked for an American company, and they moved our family around a few times for my dad's job, and I ended up enrolling into an American school, which then I think completely changed the trajectory of my life. What? Again? Already? Yeah, that's actually a really interesting point. I put American School of Asuncion on my CV, and most people are like, that's weird, but I refuse to take it off because Going to an American, an international American school is a very specific experience. And I, if my CV is reviewed by another TCK, they are going to understand the importance of that as soon as they see American School of Asuncion. So it's like, it's like a dog whistle to, to other TCKs? Yeah, a little. <laughs> My family doesn't really have any ties to the United States other than the fact that their kid ended up attending an American international school. And, I mean, I sounded American by the time I was 10. As you can hear, I have an American accent, but I didn't grow up here. The first time I visited the U.S. was probably 7th or 8th grade. And by then, I had already learned, like, all about, you know, American currency and read American textbooks because it was a school that was based off of the American curriculum. I went to the American International School. It's called Singapore American School. And it's in this neighborhood in Singapore, which at the time when I lived there, it was sort of called Little America because a lot of American families lived around the school and there was this neighborhood, you know, that was kind of built around the school. And there were just all sorts of quirky things about this neighborhood, like the streets in Singapore have pretty, like, Singaporean or Malay names like Bukatima, but the streets in, like, Little America have street names like Elm or... I don't know, maple, or all, it's like all these tree, American tree <laughs> names. I think there's one that's like evergreen or something. And also, they're mostly like single-family homes, whereas most of most Singaporeans live in like apartment buildings or condos. So it's just like a very unique neighborhood that was just built around the American school or the institution. It's really interesting. I always go back to the neighborhood that's nearish to the American school when I go back to Asuncion. The way it has come up has obviously been influenced by the school and the proximity of that school and the fact that the students who go there have some disposable income to spend on restaurants, bars, and shopping nearby. 
every October during Halloween, it becomes a huge deal in that neighborhood because when I was growing up, you know, American candy wasn't super easy to come by. And, you know, you would want to go trick-or-treating and, like, get American candy. And it was this thing that was, like, super fun to do. And so there would be people who would, like, come to Little America just to experience, like, trick-or-treating and Halloween as part of the American neighborhood or the American community. It's not too dissimilar with, like, how people might go to Chinatown to, like, experience Chinese New Year, right? Like, so it's just this kind of interesting, like, cultural bubble that was there when I was growing up. I think about my friends who I grew up with who are Americans who went abroad and then came back, and they're not recognized as international students. On paper, they're American, so therefore they're not international, therefore they don't need any sort of orientation to American culture or American colleges, and therefore just let them loose and they'll figure it out, right? Mm -hmm. I'm really lucky that at Northwestern, one of the directors of student affairs was, you know, a third culture kid. I think when I met her, she was in her 50s or 60s, but she had grown up in India, and she was acutely aware of the third culture kid experience. And so she started to look for like cues in the paperwork that would point her to third culture kids. So either they went to an international school or their like current address country is different from their passport country. Hmm. Um, and she would pull a list of these kids and she started to sort of create this third culture kid gathering and email them and say, hey, let's get together. Let's sort of like bond over this experience because you're all invisible immigrants, right? You look American, you sound American, but we sure know that you did not grow up in the U.S. for the majority of your life. Like, let's, let's chat about this, um, which was super cool of her to do. So it's so interesting to hear this because it's the first time that I've heard somebody say that universities should have somebody looking out for third culture kids to help them to assimilate to college because I had a hell of a year trying to repatriate and be a freshman at the University of Iowa. And you remember some of that, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> so if somebody would have noticed me and been like, listen, this is going to be a culture shock for you. This is going to get crazy. You got to hold on tight and know you're supported. That would have made a world of difference for me. It's so fascinating because I look back now and I and I see all of these different paths that my parents could have chosen for me, right? Like we were we were living in Hong Kong, like I was born in Hong Kong and my parents could have chosen to enroll me into local school in Hong Kong and have me grow up there. But that wasn't the path that they ended up choosing for me, right? And then, you know, when I enrolled into high school, you know, the track of high school is you take the SATs, you take your AP courses, and you apply for American colleges. And that was sort of the, the, the roadmap that my parents had supported and, you know, the roadmap that my school supported. So here I am, this, like, super weird American person who's not really American, right? I have a full American education. I went to an American college. Culturally, I feel very American. You know, I went to prom like I did Sadie Hawkins. Like, I did all the traditional, <laughs> like, American things you would do in high school, except I did them in Singapore. And now I work in the States. But I'm not American. I'm only American by culture. I'm not American on paper in any way. So it's kind of crazy. And how does that feel? It feels like I don't belong, you know, a lot. And it's kind of weird. 
the way she posits that of like my parents did this for me they could have done that for me they could have raised me in a very different way that's something that's a huge part of what i am the fact that i could have grown up in the twin cities and not known anything about latin america and about who i am Did your parents know what they were doing? I ask because a lot of immigrants have no idea what they're... I mean, they they know they're raising their kids in another culture, but all of the outgrowth of that and when they start to see it manifest, they're like, oh my gosh, what's going on? So did your parents know? Yeah, I really... I wonder. I mean, I don't think that they really had planned on and raising the sort of American kid. I actually think about this when I see couples that are around my age... Um, moving abroad and raising their kids abroad. I, I like. I remember. Yeah, this was a couple years ago. There was this couple that was going to move to Asia. They're American, but they were going to move to Asia for a foreign assignment. And they had, I think, like a two-year-old that they were bringing with them. And like in my head, I'm like, oh my god, like this is how these expat kids get created, you know? <laughs> and I'm like, oh my god, this kid is going to grow up to be <laughs> one of us. And I kind of talked to the parents about it a little bit, but they weren't really thinking about it, right? They were more focused on, like, how long are we going to live there and, like, you know, how are we going to navigate living in Asia? But they didn't really think about the sort of cultural ramifications that would happen. So it sounds like you you feel like you own TCKness. I mean, that is yours. But do you feel like you own being a Singaporean or anything like that? No, unfortunately not. I feel I feel like a third culture kid. I feel like a global nomad. I certainly don't think I could say I'm from Hong Kong. I was born there. I can say I'm from Singapore, but like, I just don't have the same experience that someone who grew up in Singapore and went to local school in Singapore had. There actually was one time when I was at a party and so I got called out once. That was awkward. (laughs) Who called you out? (laughs) So I was at this was like right after college. I was at a party and it was my roommate, Lynn, and he introduced me to one of his friends. And he's like, oh, meet my roommate, Steph. She's from Singapore. And the person he introduced me to was Singaporean. And so she was talking to me and I had the accent that I do. And she kind of looked at me and she's like, you're from Singapore? Born and bred? And I was just like, in my heart, I was like, oh my God, now I have to like really get into it and explain to it. Like, yes, I'm from Singapore, but I grew up in an expat community, but I went to the American International School. So you have to justify yourself. Right, because I'm not Singaporean the way that she is. Like, she's like legit Singaporean, right? Yeah, so you feel like a fraud. Totally. It was so awkward. I do say I am Paraguayan, or I do say I am a U.S. citizen or You know, I do say those things, and I own them because I believe that those identities are broader than a lot of people maybe would define them as. Too bad that you're being interviewed by your best friend because, you know, I can contradict you about your own life. But I, um, you've always been kind of wistful about the whole Paraguayan thing. It felt like something you couldn't claim entirely, even though it was a place that you loved and knew very well. I think that... It is something that I can claim entirely, but by my own standards and definitions. And I think that being able to work in Paraguay has made that difference for me. When I pass in Paraguay, quote unquote, that is 
like a little victory, right? Like, whereas when I pass here, I feel like there's a part of me that's unexpressed. When I pass there, I feel like it's a little victory. I guess it's that recognition that gives validation, identity-wise. It's like you're in a video game, and that's the little plus thing you get when you make a. <laughs> How do you continue to be yourself when you are a third culture kid as an adult? Does that make sense? Yes, it makes total sense. And it's something that a lot of adult third culture kids will write into Denizen about. Because when you're a third culture kid and you're growing up in the expat community, your destiny is guided by usually your parents' company. And then you go to college and then you graduate and then you kind of have to figure it out. And... There are a lot of third culture kids who kind of go through this crisis moment where they're like, but I want to go back abroad, but I want to go travel again. Um, but it's so much more difficult as an adult because they need to figure out visas or, you know, apply for a job in the EU or like, you know, figure out how to work for an American company that will put them abroad again. So there's all sorts of weird things that they have to navigate. You're not going to stop here? We can stop here. <laughs> well, don't let me force you. But, um, I mean, this is, I've observed it in you. Observed what exactly? <laughs> that you, you've always wanted to be that person again, who you were able to be when you were growing up. Right. And I hear the things that she says, like applying for certain kinds of jobs. And I thought that too. When I was in my 20s, I thought I would go into international business. But I have an artist's soul, and I need to be expressive and creative. And I really have not found a job that would give me the lifestyle I want until now with filmmaking. Yeah, this is almost so much of a simple feeling that there's very little to say about it. This yearning for the world, it's just always kind of present, it seems like. Yeah, I think I told you the other day that that I was feeling like a tomcat. <laughs> and, you know, I've been telling you a lot about my withdrawal symptoms, having just gotten back from Asuncion two weeks ago. And it's always difficult, and I always forget that I'm going to go through it. So I'm never prepared. But um, I realize that it's something that always happens to me. really go back home because when you grow up in an expat community, it's constantly shifting. People are constantly coming in and leaving. So by the time you get back there, no one's the same. Everyone's gone. You were all kind of in a location together for a period of time, which you will cherish and remember forever. And then you all kind of scattered to the wind. And I remember that feeling very distinctly when I it was my high school graduation. You know, I, my high school graduating class was like 200 or 250. Um, and I remember sitting in graduation thinking, this is the last time that I will feel like this with all these people because everyone will scatter to the wind after this. That's a huge emotional tie to just have to be okay with giving up. You have no other choice. I didn't re recognize how unique my upbringing was until I left it. I wish I had cherished it more, 
but I didn't recognize how unique it was at all. Like, not everybody can afford to travel, and not everybody works for a corporation that can just move you abroad. It's definitely a class thing as well. Like, like I fully recognize that being a part of the expat community is definitely, like, a very, very privileged experience. Like, I don't know, ages between, like, 0 and 18 are so formative for you. It It's like when you figure out your identity. It's like when you will often meet some of the closest friends you'll have for your entire life. And imagine, you know, with today's travel, like, ability to just bounce around the world, you know, between 0 and 18, just, like, spending a couple years in a culture completely different from yours, right? How cool is that? That is, like, you know, <laughs> an incredible way of kind of fostering, like, you know, understanding and diversity, and it's pretty amazing. As someone who looks and sounds American, right, I know that under the surface there's a lot of other stuff going on. And so when I meet people, I try to not make assumptions about where they're from or how they grew up based on how they sound or how they may look, because I know that for most of the people that I grew up with, it's not accurate, you know? You will meet, from in my high school, you will meet someone who is, like, blonde hair, blue-eyed, sounds, like, Southern, but might have spent her whole life, like, in Asia, or, you know, so it's just, I know that these sorts of, like, visual, you know, the superficial stuff is not at all representative of who a person is. I think that being TCK means... Realizing how radically different two simultaneous existences could be on the same planet. And the massive reality shift that causes, that's huge. That breaks your brain open and you have to put all the contents back together again. And I think most residents of the United States have not experienced that. This episode brought up many themes I want to return to, especially the one about Latinos who can pass for white. So if you want to talk about that, please get in touch. As always, you can tweet me at Rupa Shinoy and Otherhoods on Facebook. For the next episode, though, we're going to the border of Arizona and Mexico. I've been there for the past week reporting and got some really amazing stuff. I can't wait to share it with you. So for now, thanks very much for listening. I'm Rupa Shinoy. And this has been Otherhood from PRI.